0: Welcome to another episode of Axe the Blood God, U.S. Gamers' official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat,
1: and we have friends today.
0: Yes, it is the end of the year extravaganza for 2020. Last year, we were able to get the entire team in. This year, alas, we were not able to do so, mostly because of Rock, Paper, Shotgun uh, recording a charity stream in the one available studio. And also people going on vacation early this year. But we have uh, a few people here on the team. Uh, We have, aside from Nadia and myself, we have Eric Van Allen.
2: Hey, hello. I'm back.
0: And also the new addition to the team, uh, somebody who hasn't yet had an opportunity to be on the podcast. That's Matt Olson. Hi, Matt.
3: Hello. I'm glad to be here. First timer. Long time listener. I'm not going to make that joke. It's very overplayed.
0: (laughs) And we last week, we talked about the best RPGs of the year and kind of recapped the year in RPGs, picked our favorite, which was Disco Elysium. This is the podcast where we kind of talk about all of it. And so kind of no holds bar, kind of looking back over the years, an opportunity to talk about some of our favorite games from 2019 heading into the new year. So I guess the first question that I'm going to kind of pose to you guys is, how do we think the year went? Because I think that actually it was a very good year in many ways. It just wasn't a great year for blockbusters.
2: I think I'd agree with that statement. Like, it's, there weren't a lot of major first parties in the sense that it, we just came off of years that had things like Breath of the Wild and God of War. We've been on kind of a really big blockbuster binge for a while, and it seems like everybody sort of pushed their big, uh, launch big launches out into 2020 uh that's where like final fantasy and doom and cyberpunk and all that ended up so this feels like an in-between year but i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing and it's allowed a lot of more interesting games to shine in that space yeah i think
0: that this there's the probably the biggest disparity in
1: game of the year awards that i've seen from pretty much any site (laughs) this year yeah, you mean like everyone kind of had their own favorite? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm surprised the control has kind of risen to the top of the pile. Yeah, that surprised me a little bit too. Um, but he, it's actually a pretty good year for that. Okay, there's no, there there aren't too many major blockbusters taking up all the oxygen in the room. So you know, control is a little bit imperfect, but it's uh, it's definitely different, a little bit strange. I had a chance to to breathe a bit. Eric was yeah. suggesting
0: that we do. A biggest surprises, and I think that Control winning any Game of the Year awards is probably my biggest surprise of the year. I don't know
3: about <laughs> that. Well, that seems I, a little I, a little harsh.
0: I'm not saying that Control's a bad game, but what, did I ever think that it was Game of the Year material? Not not really.
2: Here's what you here's what you got to remember is that Game of the Year is driven by consensus and often compromise. So. Sight Game of the Years, frequently, from my experience at least, and from what I've seen of, of other people who publish their actual deliberations like Giant Bomb, uh, tend to not be everyone's number one game, mm-hmm. but more like everyone's number two to four game. And I think Control fits that really well. Like My own rankings, I have Control sitting about in the middle of the list, and that is the type of game that... I feel like everyone can look at it and be like, "Yes, that's a good game. That's it's it's worth lauding, and it's not going to necessarily inspire, you know, passion in the way that some other games, maybe our own game of the year, might." But it, you mean it the most inoffensive choice? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's the shorter way of putting it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that doesn't seem like a great way to pick your game of the year silence of
3: (laughs) it's a valid critique of
1: mini game of the year (laughs) scolded by mother
3: (laughs) (laughs) i have no i have no qualms with like saying that's not a great way to pick it it's my number three and it's you know i would defend it gladly but it's also not my game of the year so it doesn't it doesn't quite hit there but i bet you know it's remedy folks seem to like remedy they keep making third-person action games, the way that they're known for doing it. And this was, like, a particularly well-focused one, so it just, like, maybe had the space this year without other blockbusters to leapfrog up.
0: I mean, maybe that's just the most damning indictment of the quality of the blockbusters that came out this year. I mean, I think Resident Evil 2 Remake is probably a better game than Control in a lot of ways. It's just that uh, I think a lot of people are kind of reluctant to name a remake as their game of
2: the year. That's, that's true. And like, there are other games that I feel are being severely overlooked in the major game of the year category, just because there might be a perception of they don't carry that weight. Like, look, Fire Emblem Three Houses, y'all, let me tell you, Hmm. that game is incredible. And yet, a damning number of people out there are not uh, putting it up there for the big site awards. And I'm going, come on. It's, it's the best Fire Emblem. I'm sorry, it just is. It's the best Fire Emblem.
1: I don't think Come it on. is. Ooh, snap. I like Spicy. Fire Emblem
2: Three
0: Houses, but I don't think it's the best one of them all. I think probably Genealogy of the Holy War is the best of the best, still. The
2: best one that we can play in America right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> the,
0: the most accessible best one. Stop it, Eric. You're, l- let me be a Fire Emblem hipster for just one damn second. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's the rule here on Blood God. Cat has to be a Fire Emblem hipster for a little bit.
0: Yeah, just wait until I start being a Pokemon hipster.
1: Oh, that's going to be fun.
0: US Gamer's own Game of the Year was, the, uh, was Disco Elysium, which I think is a, a fine choice. And I think certainly Game of the Year caliber, I think that it does a lot to reinvent the RPG genre. And I think the, like, the other clear choice probably is the Outer Wilds, um, both indie games, uh, both kind of high concept in a lot of ways. And uh, of the two, I'm su- I think I'm the most surprised that The Otter Wilds hasn't been getting more love in Game of the Year nominations because a lot of people were saying that it was the clear best of the year when it came out earlier this year.
1: Um, I think in, in at least my case, uh, there are two things that kept me from setting it uh, on my list. Uh, number one, uh, if you look over my list, which will be published, uh, I think, on Boxing Day. Uh, I, we were allowed to kind of choose games that we played this year, period. And for me, that I, I'm playing catch-up on a lot of great games that um, I didn't get to play the first time around, including Red Dead Redemption 2 and Final Fantasy XIV. That's my first thing, so I kind of had to push some people off. Second problem is that um, I loved The Outer Walls and I love... It's just so original and really cool and amazing in so many regards, but I played it on the Xbox and I found it had a lot of technical issues. Uh, I had a lot of crashes and stuff like that, a lot of hitching. And that kind of it, it did screw up my enjoyment a bit because um there are m- moments in the game where navigating well is is quite vital to your survival and if your Xbox is, you know, going bananas, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna help you. So that that cheesed me off just a tiny bit. And uh I will say that to some people who played it on the PC I have had no problems whatsoever, but um that's just my perspective.
0: Let me ask you guys do we think that technical issues should matter that much when it comes to picking the best games of the year? Because I mean control's getting a lot of the Game of the Year awards and that game, technically speaking, was a little bit of a mess.
2: Oh yeah, I'm playing that's it on PS four yeah. right now and it's it's a dumpster fire. It's it's on my <laughs> game of the year list and it is an absolute dumpster fire on the and PS4. That's after the patch. Yeah. I can't imagine what it was like pre-patch, but that's the thing is like the concept and also the reasons why I like this game are largely removed from the moments when that game is falling apart. Like I I don't come to control for the combat. I don't think that's necessarily very interesting. I, I want the SCP stuff. I want the house of leaves geometry that's going on. I want the FMV of uh, Dr. Darling, which is just so good. Uh, So I think that could play a part of it. If if Control was more of a, the love for it was about the combat in the way that like Sekiro is, I think technical hitches would be playing a larger factor. But mm-hmm. I think most people came to it with that. But also take into account that a lot of people right now are building gaming PCs and, or, or playing on the pros and the Xbox One Xs and not necessarily base consoles anymore. So opinion might have also just fallen into the minority opinion. Yeah.
0: I am always a little nervous about, co- co- like, dwelling too much about on un- uh, un- technical problems because I-, I think the one of the best examples was that I mean, Dark Souls was borderline a slideshow on the original PS3 and <laughs> Xbox 360 when you got mm-hmm. into Blight Town. I still gave that game a five out of five because it was so transcendently good, and I feel like I was on the right side of history there. I think it's prob- it has a very very good argument for being you know, game of the decade. Right. And I think that we as an industry and as hobbyists spend way, i spend a lot of time that maybe we shouldn't dwelling on technical problems and performance issues and that kind of thing. If the design is good and the game itself is like really good, like sometimes I think that maybe frame rate hitches and bugs and crashes don't matter as much. I mean, just look at Bethesda's games for heaven's sake. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. I understand where you're coming from. But another thing to keep in mind is that um, y- if you're someone who suffers from motion sickness, uh, certain hitches really can affect your enjoyment of a game.
3: I could have seen control being really hard for folks who, you know, hitches throw them off their game and, and make them feel like physically uncomfortable when I played it. And I... I feel like I had the benefit of not being one of those types of folks. Mm -hmm. I even adjusted my play style accordingly, so I would get into situations where it hitched less, which is like, I don't even know if it's smart to meet a game at that point if it's a little bit rough, but uh, I do have that tendency. So it it really depends on, you know, who's sitting there playing it and whether or not they're on a pro or not uh, or more, you know, powerful model. And uh, I wish more folks would disclose that in their reviews. I saw a lot of reviews for both Control and Jedi Fallen Order where whether or not technical issues were mentioned, they didn't say what platform they were playing on, which I really wanted to know in some cases.
0: I mean, yeah. we automatically put that in our info box as to what mm-hmm. platform we're yeah, playing Yeah, which is on. really good, I think. Yeah, that is a problem because you'll see a lot of people who are playing, uh, like who are playing Control, for example, a game that came out on PC, if I recall correctly, and people were on the PC, like I saw plenty of them saying, oh, I played on the PC, therefore I didn't have many problems. Whereas somebody playing on, say, a, a base PS4 uh, could be a little bit of a dumpster fire. Same with like Jedi Fallen Order. Mm-hmm. I know yeah. that for a fact that Eurogamer was playing on a one of the lower version, one of the lower consoles, I was playing on a PS4 Pro, uh, but the game itself was optimized for Xbox one X more or less, and for high quality pcs and I think that the difference in quality like really re- really showed there, especially in like the end of the generation so
1: yeah um, and uh, that's uh I, there's there are, there are times when I think it 's actually extremely important to mention that when there's certain controversies like uh, you all remember how bloodstained was uh, kind of a mess on the switch, so I think they finally fixed it i haven 't had a chance to go back and check for myself but When I reviewed Bloodstained, of course, they gave me a PS4 code. And um, I said in my review, look, it runs great on the PS4, no issues. But I did play the preview on the Switch, so I can't tell you that this game is going to play just as well on the Switch. Because I really had no idea. And uh, at first, it turns out it was the case. I mean, Uh, remember how bad, uh, what was it, Skyrim ran on the PS3 back in the day? (laughs) (laughs) That
0: was legendary.
2: (laughs) Oh, gracious. I'm glad you brought up Bloodstained because I feel like that's another one of my heartbreaks of the year because and in terms of technical mess because I played it on the PS4 and like full disclosure I was a backer of that game uh ages it's the only Kickstarter I've ever backed and I was like sure Castlevania from the dude who makes the Castlevanias 60 bucks send me a copy when it's done uh And it came in, and I started playing it, and I was just binging through it. And within a day, people had found that there was a bug that just completely softlocked the game from progressing. It was really far into the game, like really, really far into the game. And I had hit that point because I was just playing that game. I loved it so much. And I was just so heartbroken. I had lost so much progress that I have not gone back to it since. I can't stomach it to play that far into the game again so Bloodstained the game that would have been on my game of the year list had it not completely soft locked and ruined about 20 to 25 hours worth of progress
1: ouch that's yeah that's really bad you say that's like oh if you're
0: watching a movie you shouldn't be paying that much attention to the special effects necessarily like pay attention to the quality of the the filmmaking and the whatnot um, and the story but with video games because they're an interactive experience if it's soft locking and mm. erasing 25 hours of progress I mean you certainly won't get that with books or movies will you <laughs> no
1: no unless you have the printing error I had when I was a kid with Charlotte's Web uh, <laughs> what oh basically for some reason my copy of Charlotte's Web got to the climax of the story then started over it was, <laughs> some, it was some kind of weird printing error it was really really strange and for years I had no idea how that book ended and then I find out <laughs> Charlotte dies and I'm like oh well great <laughs> Spoiler the for Charlotte's the Web.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm glad uh, when it comes to Bloodstained, uh, I don't know. I don't think I ever gave that game a proper cho- a chance because I just was out on the the art style from the start. And that's a big hang up for me.
1: They really, really improved it as time went on. And when they finally got around to releasing the final product, uh, I think the game looked quite good, uh, mm-hmm. especially on the the Xbox and uh ps4 on the switch again It took a long time for them to get things up to speed
2: the art style was definitely it looked like a game that should have come out on the 360 for the xbox like 360 arcade like it had that sort of art style but it wasn't necessarily, as long as you weren't hoping for an exact Castlevania replica, it was a perfectly fine art style that only looks strange in a few spots where you had like a giant cat coming out of the wall and you're like, oh, that looks really <laughs> out That was really great.
1: Of place. I love those. Or with the puppy head, that was like insane. I think yeah. those were Kickstarter backers pets.
2: Those were weird, it, and that's like the other weird aspect of Bloodstain's art design is that it had all those backer rewards, so there are portraits of random people that you can tell are just pictures of people that float around and fly at you and things like that, and it's it's this weird, it's a weird game, but it was a really fun game to play. It
1: was, and I will, like, I do love the fact that someone, you can see him in the front foyer, put their cat Like on, but the on like some aristocrats' body. So like you see, you see all these portraits go by, and you're not thinking about them. Then you just see a cat, a cat person, just it's adorable.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a shame that Bloodstained didn't work out as well as it did because uh, while ultimately I think that it did reasonable sales on some platforms, uh, it I think it was hurt by the fact that a it was not day and day with the Switch, b it had Switch. Like problems, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. many indie developers are treating the switch as a lead platform these days that if you can 't get it right there that'll like really dissipate a lot of your buzz. I feel
1: yeah, I think you're right. I think not being on the switch from not not only from not from day one but also it was just such an inferior port of the game, and they had to work so hard to bring it up to speed that didn 't help their case too much. I think everything went fine in the end, but um all right, so
0: let's do a little exercise here. We all made our top 10 lists of the year. Um, I would be curious to know what is your personal game of the year and what is a game on your list that you think maybe got overlooked and won't be on many other lists? So why don't we start with Matt? Uh,
3: my personal game of the year is Untitled Goose Game. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. So it's a Winner. Difficult choice. <laughs> um, because it was it was either that or apex legends which is my number two by just a hair and as for a game that i think was overlooked and won't be on many people's lists uh i have heave ho in at number seven and i only spent a single evening with that game but it's fantastic it's so good that i've watched uh multiple other you know sites uh their playthroughs of it and just like soaked up all that good good local multiplayer chaos by osmosis but also had an incredible time with friends playing it so i hope more people shout it out at the end of the year
2: what is heave ho it sounds familiar
3: uh eric are you familiar
2: oh yeah oh yeah i'm well aware of this game
3: so Ho is this 2d uh game uh let me i i should have the studio's name up in front of me but i will i will search it as i talk um so I believe it's four-player local multiplayer, or up to. And mm-hmm. you control essentially this little bean-shaped character with two arms. And your arms can be you know controlled independently. You can grab onto surfaces and other people. And it's just a simple game where you're on a screen, and everybody's got to get from point A to the goal. Uh, and the way you do this is by forming these chains of your bean people. Uh, and having to coordinate swinging uh, together uh, across chasms and so forth and around obstacles. Uh, there's also a dedicated fart button, uh, which then imparts for some people. Uh, you can customize your characters to look all sorts of ridiculous ways. Um, and it's just, like, it's both presentationally really fun and... Uh, in terms of just, like, a pick-up-and-play simple design, like, it's the best sort of, like, physics-based local multiplayer game mm-hmm. uh, I've ever played, I think.
2: It reminds me a lot of Getting Over It with Bennett Foddy, that sort of way that you use these very co-op-style physics to get across platforming challenges, but the twist is it's not as frustrating when you fail. It's it's very quick reset, and also you are playing at co-op, so there's like Matt mentioned this element of creating a human chain link to get from one side to the other there's just a lot of it's like a really enjoyable game it's the sort of thing you could like place in front of somebody and within about 5 seconds they would completely understand the concept of what's going on and then you can just immediately start to get into the fun of okay we got to get from here to there it's it's like a snipper clips style game mm-hmm. in that way
3: absolutely and it's a great point about the quick reset. It's even like meat boyish in that when you mm-hmm. die, uh, it like sends out an explosion of, uh, I guess, blood. Uh, but it looks, it's like a paint <laughs> color across so the screen. Yeah, it's like paint. So by the end of a level that you've really been stuck on, you also get that great uh, that great visual of like, it's covered in various colors of paint and so forth from, <laughs> from your many, many failures. But yeah, that was uh, It's developed by Lay Cartel Studio and Devolver published it. Um, but yeah, it's my number seven. Uh, hope other folks find it, too.
0: On the subject of Goose Game, uh, I put it out there as Game of the Year, and I got a lot of pushback from the team, actually, to the extent that like kind of surprised me. And really? I, I saw uh, some people were kind of dismissing it as just, just Hitman with a goose. And, uh, <laughs> well, that sounds great. <laughs> other people were saying that it, what was it? Uh, oh, that people weren't talking about it anymore, which I think is patently untrue. Um, I think that it is also the game of the year. I guess I'm spoiling my choice because, uh, I don't know, it's such a a clever game. I really, they did such an incredible job of fully realizing its concept and fully realizing the inherent humor of the goose. that There's honestly a reason that this game resonated as much as it did in the particular time period that it did. It certainly helped that it was on Nintendo Switch, uh, Mm -hmm. and it was a Switch Mm -hmm. exclusive, so it had the best possible uh, kind of platform, as it were. Um, But also, I mean, my partner picked up the Goose game while she was traveling, and, you know, it's not often that she gets really, really, really into the game, but she loved that game so much that she ended up 100%ing it, and then we... Including the speed runs, and then we were playing wow. it together as well. And my gosh, what a, what a wonderful, wonderful game! I love it so much.
2: I, I'm glad you brought receipts from the Slack specifically to like put me on tribunal <laughs> here about this because I'm well, pretty I, sure I, was gonna I guess said, it was
1: Heron who said like he didn't like the game. I wasn't I'm, calling anybody out specifically; just
0: saying that you're wrong.
2: I, I know that I was probably <laughs> one of the people who was saying that because if I was making. A top twenty or whatever, Goose Game would probably be my number eleven. But that's kind of how I feel about it: is that it's this incredible game that is so good. But for some reason, I had the complete opposite reaction. Where after I kind of got the idea of what it was doing and played through that first area, I just didn't feel compelled to do more. I, I I didn't feel I, and maybe this is me, maybe this is the way my brain is wired. I just wasn't getting that like good feeling of progressing in it. Maybe it was the fact that it was this like check off list of objectives to do. But checking things off that list just never really compelled me to want to do more of it. I enjoyed doing the sandbox stuff as the goose a lot. But the actual things that you do in that game, I had way more fun just putting this in front of people and watching them play it than me myself playing it. I've seen some people say that they felt
0: like Goose Game shows it, like its entire hand in like its first section with the gardener. Yes, yes. Uh, I would say that I really love the interconnectivity of the different areas and how you finish one area and then the camera kind of moves and you're into a new section. Yeah, I think that's really clever. And how each section tells its own little story. I think one of my favorite. I think my favorite might be the one with uh, two neighbors who are fighting, mm-hmm. and you're just progressively pissing them off more and more.
1: <laughs> is that the one with the giant bell where you set off the bell? and Like this nice guy trying to enjoy his paper and yes. every time it goes, <laughs> that great. That killed me.
3: <laughs> that I think is gets to like one of the joys and one of the you know an argument against saying it plays its whole hand is that in the first area it's just the story of uh, a groundskeeper and a goose, but then the goose like gets into into situations where you are sort of pitting people against one another or like prompting people to like team up against you so it like it just kind of snowballs and scale which is one of the like surprising things about it i thought it was going to just be more you know self-contained stories uh going forward and then just watching people like play the game realize the situation that they're in and then express themselves as the, as the goose whether it's mashing on the honk button or like parading around with your wings fully extended, like the expressiveness that that game enables, I think is also something that if, if you just see it as a checklist sort of scenario and you're not really into, I guess, being the goose, then yeah, I can see how you'll bounce off of it. But I also just, you know, watched a friend of mine play through the entire game in essentially one sitting and a good chunk of that time was just spent doing things that were completely unnecessary because he loved being the goose.
1: Yeah. I just think it has uh, one of the best taglines ever, which is, it's a beautiful day in the village and you're a horrible goose. That just, <laughs> that's perfect. That's a perfect pitch. I,
0: I, I, yeah, I think you make a good point about how much, like, whether or not you enjoy being the goose because I found myself role-playing as that dang thing, right? I mean, it lets you, gives you so many opportunities to fully embody its character. I mean, I think making one button a honk button is one of the best things i've seen all year honestly
1: and the first thing you do is honk and it totally instructed yes you
0: honk and then the the goose emerges it's so great (laughs) and when you quit it plays the little looney tunes kind of theme and the like iris is out with the goose yeah
1: (laughs) your shenanigans are over for now
0: but what's next for now and uh, i think that every time i would successfully complete a task i would just stand in front of the um uh, the person that I was tormenting at that time and kind of wave my wings and honk at him of a whole bunch <laughs>
1: <laughs> especially that poor kid who's like he can chase around and he has <sighs> those bicycle shorts that I had like poor when kid. I was his age
0: yeah and there was and, and whenever I would grab a thing and drag it to my like pile of stuff I would drop it look at it and then honk at it <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you're telling it what you think yeah just because because it just yeah. felt
0: like something the goose would do yeah And then it reaches such a perfect crescendo when you're stealing the bell. Yeah. (laughs) And it doesn't need to explain anything in that final shot. It's just, you know exactly, you, you know everything, right? It tells you so much about the goose. It tells you so much about all the people the goose has been tormenting. Ugh.
3: Huh. One of my one of my favorite details was that you can from the start of the game you can see the pile of bells. It doesn't hide it from you, and then I'd gone through the entire thing and forgotten entirely about it until I was, you know, moments away from dropping it, and it kind of all clicked in this like big whoa moment that was also <laughs> completely unnecessary for like the concept of the game, but a, a great ending nonetheless. Totally mind yeah.
1: blowing, right? <laughs> Top ten like anime plot revelations. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my God. It's like an M. Night Shyamalan kind of thing. What a twist. Uh, I think that games by and large don't do comedy very well either. In fact, mm-hmm. I think games are horrible at comedy because I think that no disrespect to the very uh, talented people who are writing these uh, these games so much. like There are a lot of really wonderful individual jokes, but I've often found that when a game is trying to be funny, it's kind of a groaner or it just traffics a lot in i don't know references to Mm -hmm. other better material Mm -hmm. um i keep piling on the outer worlds but it feels like it's very heavy in references um even though i have a lot of respect in general for like you know the people who who made it like i didn't think it was that funny (laughs) i thought the humor was a bit forced honestly (laughs) So it's like, so to see a game that's so organically funny as uh, Goose Game is really great, honestly. So so yeah, Goose Game, game of the year for me. Nadia, what's your game of the year? I bet
1: I know. Did yeah, I, I think we talked about this. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, let's <laughs> see. Was it uh, Dragon Quest Builders 2? It was. We talked about this in the last yes. uh, episode. So uh, there you go. See, I do have supporters on my side um so eric and i i guess since we're together here we can like talk about like how how interesting a game it is because like eric did you ever play the first one?
2: Oh yeah i uh i think i i got all the way through the first one and did some of the like extra stuff that you can do at the end with that like free roam world or whatever uh but i found that too is just somehow a better game in every respect like, I yeah, I liked yeah. Builders a lot, and I would have put it on, like, possibly my all-timer list. Uh, and I think 2 is just pretty much usurped that in every way.
1: Yeah, and I think one reason why is, you mentioned it just briefly, the, uh, the world that they give you at the end of the first game is actually a major part of the game this time around. Mm-hmm. It's an actual—the whole point of going to these other huge islands that have, like, the story and have the monsters to fight and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, have so much to do— they're just like a cog in this, in this wheel where you come back, you bring back people, you bring back supplies, you bring back animals to populate this village that you're building. And uh, you can make this village, you can make any village however you want, but like in particular, your, your own little piece of paradise there, that's all you. That's everything, that's whatever you want to do, you can go ahead and do it. And the game is all about just giving you the tools to develop that little piece of world the way you want And, you know, on top of that, on top of the story that you get when you venture to, like, Moonbrook and and all of that, uh, you also have the scavenger hunts, which Mm -hmm. I thought were, number one, kind of fun. Uh, Number two, definitely really handy in that if you could successfully complete them, you would get an infinite supply of... Of certain items, which can come in really handy when it comes to precious metals and jewels. Mm-hmm. So it was just like a really well done game. Like the quality in life, the quality of life improvements over the first one. It's just I can't sit here and list them all because I'll be here all day. So uh, yeah, it just entertained me for hours. I think the only time it really slows down is during that Skeletraz sequence, which uh, was actually not bad the first time I played it. But like when actually, of course, replayed the game on the Switch. And I'm like, okay, I know what happens here, and it's kind of slow. But after that, it picks right back up, because, frankly, Moonbrook, which follows, is the best part of the game. Uh, So that's my pick for the best of this year. My overlooked game is probably either Sayonara Wild Hearts, which I don't even want to cite as overlooked, because I feel like a lot of people are including it in their lists, which I'm glad for. I think even Apple declared their best uh, Apple Arcade game of the year, which I was glad to see. Uh, I might go with Trails 3, Trails of Cold Steel 3, because it's um, definitely one of the games where I, the more I think about it and how I, you know, going, thinking about my memories of playing it, the more I think warmly of it, like I really enjoyed myself, I like the characters, I'm interested to see where the story goes next, because holy crap, cliffhanger. The only problem with setting it as my overlooked game is that it's kind of meant to be overlooked unless you're a fan of the, the Trails series. Did you say kind because, of meant to be overlooked? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're trying to be overlooked. But <laughs> well, you know, like, you just, like, I can't say to some random on the street, hey, play Trails 3, because, um, I mean, I guess I could, but you you really don't get a lot, you really get the most out of the game if you're coming in from, like, Trails, like, any of the previous games. Like, I, I even found that not coming in from Trails 2, because I had to sit there and read the summaries. I, I felt like I was still missing something. But, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Trails 3. I'm looking forward to 4. So yeah, that's a it it's a very predictable list this year, but a good one. You could probably play Trails
0: 3 without picking up the first two. I say this only because I mean in a way it's sort of uh, there's a little bit of a time skip, right? I mean, you can uh it's picking up kind of a new story in making one of the main characters, the professor at the school. Yeah, there are established relationships and everything, but you I feel like you can kind of grok that as you play along, right? And then if you are really interested in knowing what's happened up until then, you can go back to the first two.
1: Yeah, I guess it would be a bit like, you know, when I was a kid, I used to kind of come into fantasy series right right in the middle, and somehow I managed there. So I imagine people would manage just coming into Cold uh, Steel 3, uh cold, so to speak. Um, I will say, if that's your plan, you may as well wait a little bit because it's coming to Switch and I don't think the other two are coming, so hey, uh, maybe if you want, go ahead and wait for 3 to come on Switch, and uh, if you like it, go back and get 1 and 2 on the PlayStation 4, which is dirt cheap. Might even be on Steam, I don't remember. You could do a lot worse. It's a very... um, There's a lot of, like, anime tropes in the Trail series, but it's a very fun series. It's uh, strangely... Strangely enough, very political. You wouldn't know it by looking at it, but it is. And there's a lot of a lot of twists and turns, very few very little in the way of defined lines about good and evil. Uh I've said and I said in our past episode it reminds me a lot of Sweetden just with more like planet anime bullshit stuff. So I don't mean that in like a like a, a snarky way. I actually I enjoy planet anime bullshit stuff. It's it's just who I am. But uh yeah. So that's my, my pitch for the year. I think it can
0: be surprisingly rewarding to come into the into a new story in a in a fantasy series, uh, I think, for example, Matameo in Redwall was always an example for me because that was the first one I ever read, and they yeah, make that's true. They make what a lot is, of reference.
2: Uh, deep cut. That's what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, they make a lot of reference to what happens in the original Redwall, but I, I didn't feel like I was losing track of the story or anything. Right, I I could go back. Mm-hmm. And read Red Wall and then see the actual events for myself. And that can be surprisingly rewarding on its own. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I think it only works. I I think the only time you get into trouble is when you pick up a game like Trails of Cold Steel 2, which picks up directly from Trails of Cold Steel 1, right? Where it's less of a self-contained arc. (laughs)
1: Yeah, you're right about that. Although I will say Redwall has substantially less in the way of politics. Like, (laughs) Trails of Cold Steel 3 picks up exactly with, like, this person's at war with that person, and this country's at war with that country, and this person was an enemy in the previous game, but now she's literally your teammate in this game. And so there's a lot of that going on, but uh, that's why God invented wikis, I guess.
0: Well, Mm -hmm. Redwall is much more, if you were born as this particular creature then i sorry you're a- inherently evil
1: <laughs> yeah the trails
0: is a little more nuanced than that are you a yeah. ferret yep you're gonna grow up to be a bandit that's just how it's gonna be
1: if you're a stoat go sit in the corner
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh eric what's your game of the year oh i'm glad that uh nadia mentioned all the anime mess uh because mine is definitely fire emblem three houses uh yes I, I wrote this in my top 10 list, which might be live by the time this this airs and everything. Uh, I'd have to check the schedule, but uh, I, I wrote in mind that I kind of had two games competing for my game of the year, uh, between Fire Emblem and Disco. And it was kind of the head and the heart. like disco appealed to my brain and the way it's wired and the way I like to think about writing and world building and how games are built. But Fire Emblem appeals to just the things that I crave in a video game that are like comfort food to me. This like complete anime over the top, uh, just, just, oh, there's multiple routes and there's a whole war that breaks out and you got to choose sides and you might have to kill your former students and there's love blooming on the battlefield and it's... <laughs> I, there is. Like, Fire Emblem, I think one of the biggest things for me with that series, and I've been playing, for context, all the Western releases uh, since the Game Boy Advance, my issue was always that it always aspired to be epic. It wanted to have that sense of grand scale and adventure, but especially in recent games like Awakening and Fates, it never felt like it got there. It felt like it stayed on that, oh, you know, you have a party, a merry band of adventurers that's going from battle to battle, but you yourself are not really commanding an army in the scale that your enemy is. And having all these battalions, having this larger scale conflict that was about nations clashing and not just oh, we got to go find the evil dragon and kill it with the Fire Emblem. I felt like it was just what I have wanted from a Fire Emblem game since those early GBA days. Uh, And it's easily my favorite. Like My my previous favorite was probably Path of Radiance, and this is now my, my favorite Fire Emblem. I love the cast of characters. I feel like the character writing in this game is the best that it's ever been, and that really stands out because... You can see, like, how much people have latched onto these characters and developed all these uh, asides about them. How attached they are to their stories and how they develop. I feel like there are really good stories told in the support conversations this time around. Whereas, like, Fates kind of had an issue with everything being like way more dating sim and not actually like character writing. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it's just a fantastic game. It just gives me like everything I've wanted from the series. And I, I haven't even talked about the gameplay. I'm so glad they got rid of the weapon triangle. But it just all works so well in tandem and, and on a scale that I haven't seen Fire Emblem at in a long time. So I'm very happy. It's it's what I, for- I wanted.
1: I forgot they got rid of the weapon triangle. I guess that's how much I miss it.
2: Oh, it's it's such a good choice because now you get to think a little bit more about, okay, these characters have these abilities. The The weapon triangle stuff shows up in that different weapon classes can get abilities that will be that will give them yeah. an advantage against other ones but then you can also class characters to subvert those expectations like it just opens up the design space a lot more and it doesn't have it limited to this rigid okay well you know this is going to be that axes are going to beat lances and all that kind of stuff so is it axe lance see i'm suddenly forgetting um, oh, i see
1: i always forgot that's the problem
2: yeah it's I and it takes away having to memorize that stuff too. It just it works out so much better to the to the game and just makes it like so much more interesting of a game to play. I'm playing through right now. I, I did a full run on Golden Deer my first time through, and I'm almost at the end of my Black Eagle run right now. And I'm playing on the harder difficulty, and I'm just it's also just a level of difficult that is really satisfying. And I feel like a lot of the maps are also very well designed, which I think, Cat, that was something that you were very happy about with this version of fire emblem the maps being well designed
0: no actually quite the opposite i think oh you had edelgard i think fire emblem fates conquest is the perfect example of what i would want out of map design i don't actually think that three houses has much map design at all because so much of uh the first half is really open battlefields and the second half has more elaborate map designs but they're a, a bit of a slog honestly I would actually go as far mm. as to say the map design is easily the weakest part of this game. Mm. Oh, you got pwned, Eric. Sorry. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, there is. I agree that some of the major stuff, like Grander Field, is just one giant field, and that's it, but some of the stuff, especially when you start getting into the battles that take place in the cities and stuff like that, uh, the bridge map, I felt, was a very good one. I, I disagree. I liked,
1: the, uh, liked disagree. the map that plays after the fifth year reunion uh, outside the monastery. That was mm-hmm. a, I remember having fun with that map.
2: Oh, that was a great one.
0: Somebody needs to do DLC where they have their 30th year reunion. (laughs) (laughs) My
1: back hurts all the time. (laughs) It's just
0: like so many awkward relationships. So, uh, what are you up to, Edelgard?
1: Well, you know, after... (laughs) (laughs) I'm still a, what what is she, like a medieval space Nazi or whatever she is. I haven't done her story yet. A space imperialist,
2: thank you. Okay. (laughs)
0: We had some really nice things to say about Three Houses on this podcast. In fact, in the comments for last, uh, the last episode, somebody was arguing that they thought Three Houses was the best RPG of the year.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And honestly, I could see uh, why, because it did such a great job of uh, making the three different routes so interesting. Unfortunately, yeah. I just feel like I picked the wrong route uh, to play through, which was Black Eagle. I really wish I had played one of the other two routes, because I think that I would have enjoyed it even more, you, but as it stands, I really really enjoyed it
2: didn't you play you played the wrong black eagle route too didn't you you played yeah the, i I
0: picked the worst possible route because yeah. I didn't talk to the gatekeeper
2: yeah you you shouldn't have done that see golden deer is where it 's at you got to fear the deer. And that's, that's the where deer. the good stuff is. It that is one of the things. I think the I think right black eagle
0: route mean. can be really a pre- Can be really nice.
2: Oh yeah, it's incredible. You like the entire second half of the game is very very different from the other routes because obviously you are playing on a very different side of the war than than some of the other routes do. All right, and what is the game that you thought was overlooked, Eric? Oh boy. Does it have to be the one from this year? Cause I actually have a game yes. on my list that isn't <laughs> from this year. Okay. Um, then I won't put the one that made Matt like go, Oh, <laughs> when I, <showed laughs> it to him. uh, I, I will say risk of rain too, is one that I have on my list that I haven't seen many people talk about. Uh, I loved the first risk of rain. It was a very overlooked, uh, roguelike of the time where it's i i call it it's a it's a mix of like a power fantasy and just trying to stay afloat in stormy weather because it's all about playing this character going through ever increasing levels and getting abilities and at the same time the monsters that you're fighting are constantly getting stronger there's like a bar at the top that keeps showing how much more dangerous it's getting until it literally gets to a point where the game is laughing at you because it's everything is so overpowered. It just says ha 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 ha, ha like all across <laughs> the screen. And it's it's really cool because you get this sense of building up over time. It's got a great ramp to it uh in the same way that slay the spire does, but I feel like a lot of people talk about how good slay the spire is if, if they don't they should slay the spire is great
1: we have we have talked about how uh, good but it is. risk of covering.
2: rain like it went from 2d side scrolling to 3d uh like full movement with this one to like basically a third person shooter and it makes that jump so so well that it's it's just mind-boggling it's like the level of jump that metroid made going from you know like the super metroid days to metroid prime where you go how does this ever work in 3D, and then somebody does it and knocks it out of the park, and you're like, "Oh no, this works in 3D. This is really good in 3D." Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've done a really good job. Uh, it, it's kind of weird to put it on my list because it went into early access this year. Uh, it's in launch next year, I believe, is is when they've said that they're going to actually launch the game. Uh, but it's just such it's so much fun to play and it's it's a really good co-op game with friends that's how i played it and that's where a lot of my good memories come from is that us just going through finding all the secret levels and bosses and ways to unlock all the different survivors it's a really good co-op roguelike in a time where that's actually kind of a hard thing to find and it manages that stuff very very well so it's worth checking out if you have like a co-op group and you're looking for something new to play it's a really good one
0: all right and i already mentioned that goose game is my game of the year so looking at my list uh of games that were kind of overlooked i at least one of them is monster hunter world iceborne a game that we didn't even manage to bring up in last week's episode in part because oh yeah yeah i mean iceborne was really good um and it didn't actually sell that well apparently which is oh that's too bad yeah it's too bad uh, MLB The Show 19, which probably should have gotten the best sports game. I don't know why FIFA got nominated. Probably because people don't pay attention to uh, sports games. Um, but I think the one that really stands out to me is Shovel Knight Showdown, which was overshadowed even by its own kind of sibling game, which was the King of Cards. It is a really dang good uh, arena battler, which you can play with up to four characters. There's tons to unlock. Uh, levels are a really good, do a really great job of riffing on the existing levels from Shovel Knight through all of Shovel Knight. And while at the same time working in an arena context and there are like, there's story modes for every one of the characters uh, to play through. It's quite difficult and surprisingly fun to play through on your own. And, (laughs) I think that it is kind of a really great tribute to all things Shovel Knight, which to me is one of the best games of the decade. certainly one of the most enjoyable and best-realized worlds out there, and uh, I wasn't sure about it at first, but when I got together some friends, and we were all playing it together on Switch, uh, we had so much fun. Uh, It's such a chaotic and crazy game, but the rounds end extremely quickly, and Uh, you know it's not based on killing one another necessarily it's more about gathering gems and everything so there are a few instances in which everybody somebody's going to be putting down their controller usually you'll finish around with everybody still alive it's just a matter of who was able to get gems and it can get really chaotic toward the end because you you know you kill somebody they drop some gems and so as the time is running out you Uh, you can find yourself in a situation where the gem count is fluctuating rapidly. So, yeah, no, uh, it's it's not a fighting game. It's more of a platformer at heart. But if you're looking for a party game to be playing with some friends, uh, I would certainly recommend Shovel Knight Showdown. Did any of you guys end up getting around to playing it?
1: I'm afraid not. No, me too. Unfortunately not.
0: Oh, there you go. There's their right. holiday homework. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 no, I, I'm a big fan of Shovel Knight. Um, and at PAX, I got to play their upcoming game, which was the uh, kind of the Shovel Knight Downwell uh, thing they're doing with um, Nitrome. And uh, I had a lot of fun with that. So do sure be on the lookout for that. All right. Now let's wrap up. Final
0: thoughts on the year 2019. Was it a good year for games? I think that it had a lot of Smaller, really interesting hits, uh, but maybe few games that I'll be still thinking about several years from now. I might still be thinking about Goose game in a few years because that game was just so dang clever. Uh, Outer Wilds is up there too uh but beyond that, I mean it was kind of a hump year, right I mean sort of like mm-hmm. twenty twelve where we were just kind of waiting for the the next generation of consoles, the big games I mean I'm looking ahead to next year and I think. Cyberpunk alone is going to be Much bigger than anything that came out this year So I'm kind of looking forward to next year In the meantime, this year is kind of like
1: oh, Well, that was
0: nice, but uh, I'm ready for new stuff. What do you guys think?
1: Um, I feel like this year Was a, a good catch-up Year because I did mention how a couple Of games that I'm playing uh, Our games didn't get to play last year Because last year was just so loaded But it was also just a I th- this is something we've gone over cap it was a great year for switch ports and I'm okay mm-hmm. with that because that's another thing that's really great about the switch is it is perfect for catching up on games so I use my switch for a lot of that um, I probably will be thinking about uh, Dragon Quest builders two in a couple of years because I want to know where three is, is coming from <laughs> and I'm really really wanting three because uh, basically all the Dragon Quest builders games are based on the first one's based on the first game second one based on the second game and it's like Dragon Quest 3 is one of the best uh, Dragon Quest games ever. One of the so best RPGs, I see, period. Yeah, exactly. So I want to see where they get, what kind of alternate world they're going to they're gonna weave out of this one. So yeah, I'll still be thinking of Dragon Quest Builders in a, a couple of years, guaranteed.
0: Then we can be arguing about Dragon Quest Builders again when it comes out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be significantly older and hunched over
2: by then.
0: Yes, that argument did age me several years. Um, <laughs> and myself. Eric, any final thoughts?
2: I... Uh, I mentioned it before, but this was kind of a year of like creature comforts for me. I, I've talked so much about auto chess at this point that I just can't talk about auto chess anymore. But it was that was a huge thing this year for me, I think, between Dota auto chess and then the ones that came out of it were all very interesting. Uh, and it was a really cool thing to see evolve so rapidly and then kind of also immediately die back down and now it's just kind of a lifestyle game for a lot of the people that enjoy that sort of genre um but it also kind of killed card games so good job (laughs) (laughs) uh i i spent a lot of time playing uh i'm glad you mentioned switchboards because one of the things that i realized i haven't talked about much is tales of Vesperia. Uh, Definitive Edition, which is a really, really good port of that game. I didn't put it on my Game of the Year list or anything because it's literally just a port of Tales of Vesperia for the Switch that includes some of the content that was only in Japan. But that alone was enough to get me to play another 60 hours of that game. And yep, Tales of Vesperia, still the best Tales game. Good job. Oh, I was
1: actually going to ask you, like, if you've never played a Tales game, is that a good one to jump in with?
2: Tales of Vesperia is by far my favorite because I yeah, think it's it that one. Best protagonist in any RPG period, um, because he's not an amnesiac, uh, whiny boy. Uh, he is <laughs> a great character. Yuri Lowell is great. Um, I and, think and that, that the, like, I
0: think his. the what was it, amnesiac whiner, whiny boy, is one of those tropes that people cite a lot, but hasn't really been the case
2: in quite a long time.
0: In many it's, respects, yeah. I think
2: you're. I think you're right, Cat. It's been changed a bit. You know, even. I would say older, like PS1 era RPGs is when that was maybe the most prevalent or even just the silent RPG protagonists uh, in, before that. But I think Yuri really stands out as this interesting character all on his own. Uh, he's a character that you get to play that has a backstory that you get to live out and kind of experience. Uh, you're not really like role playing. You're, you're just playing the character. And I like that a lot. Uh, and then I also like, Played a lot of fighting games this year. Like one of the games on my list is a 2018, like a late 2018 release, uh, *Undernight Inbirth*, uh, which is a really, really stinking good fighting game, and kind of rekindled my love for older 2D fighting games, which caused me to go back to th- like third Strike* and uh, *Garrow Mark of the Wolves*. I played a lot of *Garrow Mark of the Wolves* this year, which I didn't think I would say in 2019, but. Yeah. Uh, It's just been a year of comfort food for me, and I'm kind of okay with that because, yeah, you know, maybe in a couple years the only ones I'm going to really be thinking about will be, like, Three Houses and Disco Elysium. But it was a good year to kind of just remind myself of the things that i like in games and the reason why i like them and then you know next year game of the year 2020 i'll get in the mosh pit i'll fight for the things i'm passionate about y'all will get to hear about why uh vampire the masquerade bloodlines is incredible uh don't worry there's plenty of time for that but (laughs) and and like a new tales of game is i think is set for 2020 like i'm just yeah weird one next year yeah, no, it's it's going to be a great year for Eric Van Allen personally. It's going to be just great, but uh, <coughs> this year Sounds was sarcastic. definitely like my my guilty pleasures, my comfort foods, and I'm generally okay with that. Uh, a lot of the games I was hoping would be good didn't. They kind of disappointed. Uh, AI: The Somnium Files was one I was really looking forward to that fell entirely flat for me as a fan of. 999 in Virtue's Last Reward, Somnium just didn't do anything for me. And I think Greedfall, I, I said it before the podcast started, but it's a good game. But there are definitely at least like 15 better games than Greedfall this year. So uh, overall, it was okay year. I think it's telling
0: that this year, probably my most played game isn't even a game that's going to be on my top 10 list. Yeah. Which is FIFA. <laughs> God. Talk about creature comforts. Ugh. Cannot stop that stupid game.
3: Go away, FIFA. I'm going to have to send you to rehab, Cat. Uh, yeah. Join me in Apex Legends Land. It's the best creature comfort there is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Matt, do uh, you have any parting shots for this year?
3: I mean, that's probably going to be the thing that goes into 2020 with me. Uh, I, it, uh, if it's not, then that means that probably Tetris 99 <laughs> wins the Battle Royale war in my heart. Uh, mm-hmm. But, I mean,. Yeah, just everything getting pushed into 2020 and the things that were already planned for the spring releases, like we're 3-4 months out from what could potentially be a very wild time without even knowing, you know, anything more about the next consoles on the book. I mean, there's going to be a Half-Life, a Doom, and a Halo next year like it's 2004 all over again, and that barely scratches right. the surface. So, it's hard not to look ahead and then feel like 2019 was like quiet by comparison but it's also you know probably since i was a teen and not as a result of starting this job like the year i played games the most since you know since i was in school and had uh all the time in the world to do so and it was because there were a lot of really strong titles that hooked me so i can't be disappointed i can just you know look at what happened this year and then look ahead at 2020 and go like I mean, there's going to be another Half-Life, and it's VR, so I like probably won't play it. But that's that's wild to me. It's wild. What's but it exists. Up. Yeah, um, there's going to be an Xbox that's called an Xbox, and it looks like a PC, and it's it's a it's a strange time to be looking at this year and coming to grips with it when we already know that there's just so much down the road.
0: Okay, thanks to Nadia, Matt, and Eric for coming on the show to talk about all of their favorite games of 2019. And if you want to hear us talk about RPGs, well, check out the most recent episode in which we talked about the entire year of RPGs. That was 2019 as well as picked our game of the year. It was Disco Elysium, which was also (laughs) US Gamers game of the year, which uh, just went up. So you should go check out Katie's excellent essay. In the meantime, Axel of Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the subscription link over on the website. That comes out every single Wednesday with all of the news from the world of RPGs plus a little... So, some thoughts from Nadia about what is happening in that space as well. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catpot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford and Eric is at... CMOOSI S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I and uh, Matt what's your what's your Twitter handle
3: it's just it's just at Matthew Olson Matthew with one T and O-L-S-O-N
0: wow you managed to get that Twitter handle congratulations
3: <laughs> having one T in the name helps with that stuff <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes yeah, so it's only one T Matt with one T which is kind of throwing me off and we I mean we previously had a Matthew on the team with two T's yeah. And uh, honestly, your name reminds me of Luke, L-U-U-K-E, from uh, the Thrawn
1: trilogy <laughs> in Star Wars. I was going to say, heir to the Empire.
0: So what I'm saying is that you're kind of the dysfunctional clone, right?
3: <laughs> I, I you're the hope, clone, Matt. I hope I'm a decent enough clone. I'm about to go see Rise of the Skywalker like right as we wrap this, so um, all, all I'm saying is I hope Luke's part of it. Luke, sorry.
0: Oh, man, that would be perfect. <laughs> the, bring the worst part of the Thrawn trilogy and make it canon. <laughs> Some all people right.
3: would be happy about it.
0: I know they would. Star Wars nerds. All right, folks, thanks for listening as always. We're going to be back next week because we're going on vacation. We're going to be enjoying the holidays with our families, or not enjoying the holidays with our families, as the case may be. We will be back in time for the new year, in which case we'll start it all over again with a brand new run a preview of all the biggest rpgs of the year and of course the console rpg quest will be coming out and all of that fun stuff but until then i've been Cap bailey and for nadia matt eric myself thanks for listening and until next time and until 2020 happy adventuring yeah.